DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time now to talk Washington State football with Alex Brink. He's a Washington State football analyst on their broadcast. Alex joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. So, Alex, I'm curious, with Utah State coming up here in the opener, and then in late September, the Utes, and then in October, BYU, what is Washington State's shot at claiming the Utah State Championship? <laughs> I know, right? It feels like, uh, you know, we decided to hit everybody. We need to add Weber in there, right, to uh, <laughs> nice. get, get, the, get the foursome going. What I want to know is who's going to be the quarterback Phenomenal question. To some degree, I you know I, I would like to know too, right? I, I mean, it's been cut down from four to three to two finally for the Cougs with uh, Jaden Delora, the freshman starter from last year, um, and then the tr- grad transfer from Tennessee, Jared Garantano. Um, and you've got two guys that I think honestly bring a little bit different uh, things to the fold. I think physically, Garantano is a little bit bigger. He's obviously more mature. Played a lot of football in the SEC for for University of Tennessee. Uh, he's been under the bright lights in, you know, some big-time stadiums, big-time ball games. Had his struggles, but to be fair, I mean, it's not like Tennessee's been uh, burning down the doors when it comes to winning football games in general. And so I think he's been a, a little bit more of a, a product of that than, uh, than anything else. So he's got a chance to kind of reinvent himself at Washington State. And then Delora had some flashes last year as a freshman. Um, this offseason got into some trouble and, and was suspended for most of the offseason, missed spring ball, finally got back for fall camp. Uh, so he's a little bit behind the curve, in my opinion, as far as the development he needs to continue to be consistent. But, boy, is he electric. So I, I think Coach Rolovich and the staff keeping this one pretty close to the vest, kind of similar to what's happening at Utah State, right? And so we'll find out, obviously, when that first snap happens Saturday. But I wouldn't be surprised to see both guys at some point in that game. Cam Cooper is a Lehigh High School product here uh, in Utah, so a lot of people have followed him. Where did he come up short in the battle? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, Cam, I've known for a long time since he came out of high school and, and was part of the Elite 11 competition that I helped coach in. And, um, you know, he, he ended up third on the depth chart. I think, in all honesty, he was a guy that was fighting a little bit of an uphill battle, particularly when Garantano came in. Uh, Cam got some snaps last year, you know, looked good at times in the offseason was getting reps because Delora was out. And then uh, Garantano comes in and obviously has some more experience, uh, has that veteran presence, and then kind of starts taking reps away from him. I think, you know, I think for Cam, I mean, he's a supremely physically gifted player. And as a guy that, you know, the reps and all the things that come in practice, you know, for any quarterback, it used to be that if you sat till your junior or senior year, that was the norm, right? And now the expectation is everybody wants to play as a freshman or sophomore when the reality is that everybody develops on a different curve. And I think Cam's coming along just fine. And, and knowing him, I mean, he's such a phenomenal kid. Um, he's going to be a productive member of that team all the way. So last year was a screw year for everybody, particularly Borgie, you know, an all-conference type back who only played in a couple games. But the positive with him being out is McIntosh flourished. So now you got two what I would consider really good running backs, how are they going to fit into what Rolovich is trying to do offensively? It sure feels like you, know, you kind of have one, 1A and 1B when it comes to the running back options, which is great, right? In the run and shoot, um, there is a pass-heavy element to it, but 
it's significantly more balanced than, say, the air raid with Mike Leach. And so, you know, Max, well, that was the hope heading into last year was that Max Borgie was going to be able to do some of the heavy lifting because they didn't have a ton of time to install the offense and those sort of things. Then obviously Max got hurt. Uh, so you were more limited offensively, but it allowed a guy like McIntosh uh, to show what he could do, right? McIntosh went to Notre Dame out of high school, ended up transferring, coming to Washington State. So he's got great pedigree also. Those two guys uh, are both phenomenal downhill runners that attack the line of scrimmage and with a great offensive line like Washington State has, I mean, I really think this offense is going to lean run heavy, particularly early in the year with these quarterbacks as they get their feet underneath them uh, and rely on Borgia and McIntosh to, to carry the load. So I'm curious, it's great to have good running backs, but Washington State didn't, uh, under the previous staff, uh, the Pirate wasn't looking to run the ball, and that's a really different skill set. Has this O-line been rebuilt now to the point that it can push people around and run the ball? Well, one thing that's interesting about what Mike Leach and his staff did was they recruited uh, very well on the offensive line when it comes to the bodies and the athleticism that they wanted. And so although they were primarily a pass-first team, so you're obviously working more on pass-set schemes, there was enough run blocking. You had a couple, you had two really good offensive line coaches during the time uh, Mike Leach was at Washington State that were able to keep those guys pretty balanced from a fundamental standpoint. You look across that line, you know, Abe Lucas at right tackle is the guy that gets the headlines. He, he'll be a first-day NFL draft pick for sure. But there's three or four other guys that have a chance to be all-conference and maybe a couple of them playing on Sundays also. Yeah, I would put Liam Ryan in that category too. Uh, And the offensive line has a lot of experience coming back, so I expect them to be pretty good. On the other side of the ball, I I sort of got good news and bad news. I mean, they allowed over 460 yards and almost 40 points a game uh, last year, but they're returning almost everybody as a starter which uh, just because they come back, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're good. Now, Jaw Woods, uh, I think he's a super senior, three-time All-Pac-12 there at linebacker. So obviously he's good. But how about the rest of the guys? Boy, that's a great point. I think you look at a roster that's loaded with, you know, kind of the, the super seniors, as you say, and, and redshirt seniors and redshirt juniors, and you'd like to think that, hey, this is a team that, is going to be defensively in the you know top third of the Pac-12, and obviously production-wise, last year they weren't that. And a couple of tough matchups when you talk about USC at USC, Utah at Utah. Uh, you know they had their struggles. They had they've had injury issues both the last two years. They've gone into the season with really quality depth and ended up losing some key pieces and then having to kind of force guys into action. A, a good example of that is last year on the defensive line. You lose a couple guys in camp, and Brennan Jackson emerges as probably one of your top pass rush threats for the year. But that's partially because Ron Stone Jr. did not play nearly as much. Now both those guys are back, right? So you've got a ton of depth, a lot of experience. The talent is there. I think the front seven, you alluded to the linebacking core, Jihad Woods, is as productive a linebacker in the country as you will find. Justice Rogers has been a starter for four years, former high school quarterback. I mean, there are two vets at the linebacker position, that quality depth on the defensive line. Your question marks are going to, become, going to come at the safety position. Really, new free safety, uh, Halid Jabril, who hasn't had a ton of time. Daniel Isom has kind of bounced back and forth between corner and strong safety, and he ultimately has settled into that strong safety role. So, 
that's the question mark. Really the one to keep an eye on that I think uh, people would be surprised to hear is the cornerback position is a position of strength for Washington State. Jalen Watson, number zero, is one of the most physically gifted corners in the country. He, he will absolutely play on Sundays. He's got a phenomenal story where he was committed to USC. It didn't work out. He ends up working at a Wendy's while going to junior college and not even playing football. And then Washington State is able to get him into school, get him recruited, and now he's one of the best players in the Pac-12. So him, uh, you know, having him out there on one side just locks down half the field. So if you're worried about depth then, is Washington State excited to have USC in the conference opener, which is the third game of the year it looks like, and then the Utes in the fourth game of the year, right, the week right after? Right. You know, I think getting – I think there's two sides of it. You you play Utah State and then Portland State both at home. So you got to get off to a fast start for, for the Cougs if they want to ultimately look at competing in the Pac-12 North and then also going to a bowl game in Nick Rolovich's second year. Having USC that third game, you know, you get them in Pullman, which is great. Get them early. Hopefully the roster's healthy. You've had a couple games to kind of see where you're at and get some quality reps and maybe, uh, you know, kind of some of the feel good, hopefully. But – I think that early season schedule could play into the hands of Washington State um, as they, you know, as they kind of go through this season. You know, the flip side is if a Utah State team, you know, that with a new coaching staff and kind of reinvigorated comes in and sneaks up on the Cougs, right? That starts a tough slide potentially as they go into the, that tough conference schedule. So Leach has a lot of connections here. You know, he went to BYU and he still has family here. His brother, I think his parents might even live here. Uh, but uh, as the thing worn on, you know, the, the, the one criticism I had of him is it seemed like, you know, when they won, he got a ton of credit. And when they lost, he turned on the players and really ripped them. And towards the end there, I know he got in that spat with the Spokane newspaper guy and calls him out at the end, and of course everything goes viral these days. Uh, was his time, did it need to come to an end? And how much of a breath of fresh air has Rolovich been? Well, I think, you know, with Mike Leach, the there was an element where, you know, kind of his persona and the way he approached you know, his program, you know, can wear on you, right? There's a lot of, there was a lot of uh, duplicity in the kind of the things that happened every year, right? You just saw it over and over again, like you're saying. Now he's kind of the, the genius behind it is the simplicity of the offense and the consistency in the, his schedule and routine. He gets players to buy into that. Um, but it also can rub people the wrong way, right? I mean, he's admittedly not a player's coach. I mean, that's just not, that's not his role. The, the assistant coaches kind of handle that piece of it. And so I do think to some degree that kind of starts to wear on you a little bit. I think from a program standpoint, um, you know, or from a program standpoint, Washington State was in a really good spot. But the question was, what was the next step? And, you know, for Mike Lee personally, he wants to show that he can do this at the highest level, right? So the next logical step for him was to go to the SEC, and Washington State was able to kind of fill the void with a, a coach that had a similar quirkiness, but more of a player's coach in Nick Rolovich, which was definitely, I think, a breath of fresh air and had a chance to kind of reinvigorate the program. And so, you know, I think I think for Coach Leach, you know, his time there was exactly what Washington State needed. And this next step with Nick Rolovich, he's had his, you know, heading into 2020, there was a lot of great things coming of it has had his struggles at times, obviously, and, and it'll be interesting to see how he manages that heading through into this season because um, if he wins the ball games, he's right back where uh, everybody thought he would be heading into 2020. But if things get rocky, then you start having conversations. 
So coaches will always tell you, let's not create any distractions here, guys. We need all the energy going one way, you know, focus on the next game and that. But the whole thing about, you know, him getting vaccinated or not, and then the governor issuing a mandate, it seemed like that was starting to turn into a distraction. They got that all tamped down. And are there any others if you're close to the program or are they focused on the next game, got everything rolling in one direction? Boy, you know, it, it, it was one of those things that definitely um, created a, a distraction heading into the season. I, I think it was inevitable uh, if that was, you know, kind of coach's stance that that was going to come, that, that train was going to come down the tracks at some point, and, 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 it, and it did right around Pac-12 Media Day. Obviously, that conversation, you don't hear much of that currently because in the moment it's not an issue. If it becomes an issue, right, if, if – he can't coach because of a, you know, a contact trace or a positive test. You know, if they lose, they've got, you know, if there's a couple other coaches unvaccinated on staff and multiple coaches can't coach in a game and they lose that game, right. That, that becomes a distraction very quickly. And so I do think um, right now, not really an issue. If it comes up in the season, it could be a really big issue. And, and I think that's something Washington state really can't afford. I mean, they need to be able to focus on football, on the game. They need to be worried about the preparation and know that they have, you know, their full coaching staff at full strength and ready to go. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. It was a distraction in, in, in the short term um, right now, not a ton of conversation about it, but it's certainly something you're keeping an eye on all year. What's your personal expectation for this team this season? I mean, I believe this is a bowl team, particularly if they can get off to a fast start, um, like I alluded to earlier. Washington State, under Mike Leach, showed that you can be a consistent winning program on the Palouse. You know, if you have a good system and you recruit right and you develop players. Uh, He left a great roster for Nick Rolovich of talented athletes, a a team that can win games, you know, throughout in the PAC 12 and and up and down. And so the expectation is that this is a bowl team. And and in some cases, if things go right, particularly from the quarterback position, you know, this could be a team that could win, I think eight games, eight, nine games potentially. Um, But some of those question marks have to get answered early in the season. Well, I think clearly when you start counting up wins, they need the win against Utah State, and they could probably lose to the Utes and still keep some of those goals, you, or maybe even all those goals you talk about, uh, intact. But with BYU October 23rd, does that shape up as a critical game, one of those must-have games to get where you want them to get and where you think they're capable of getting? Yeah, I sure think so. I mean, it's, a, it's obviously kind of an interesting – the schedule piece is interesting, right? It's kind of middle of the season. It's not an opponent that – Historically, Washington State has played. Um, you know, I think it's. I think that piece of it creates some intrigue. I think the timing of it. You know, like you're saying, kind of late October. Um, you've got some get some uh, conference games under your belt. You're going to have to kind of figure. You know, you're going to really know who you are at that point. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is a pivotal game, and I think it's one of those ones that you know, for a program like BYU, they're always looking when they're on the national stage against you know other Power Five programs uh, to make a statement. So I think Washington State's got to have that one circled for sure. So you say you think both quarterbacks are going to play. We'll see if that happens. With that in mind, how long do you think it'll take before a, a starter is established? I don't think it goes any longer than the week two Portland State game. I mean, I think going into USC, you have to have your guy. I do think that, in my experience, having been in quarterback competitions, 
uh, knowing coaching staff, like being in the rooms and being around them over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years is that, you know, they have an idea of, of where they want to go with this thing. And if it can get confirmed in, in week one, then they'll put it to bed heading into week two so, so they can move on. I know, you know, as a, as a player, as a, as a non-quarterback, as a player on that roster, you want to know who the leader of that team is. And so you don't want to be going back and forth. And historically, you know, Rolovich isn't going to be a guy that's going to bounce back and forth between quarterbacks. He, he'll give two guys a shot. But then he's going to try and settle on a guy eventually. Um, so I would bet, you know, again, no later than week two, they get this thing figured out heading into that USC week. Well, Alex, we appreciate a few minutes. And uh, given the way the schedule works, uh, I hope you don't mind us bothering you again multiple times later this season. Sure, would love to. Happy to do it. Thanks, guys. Washington State, it's going to be interesting. There's Alex Brink, their football analyst on the radio. It's Washington State and Utah State. Saturday night, it's Washington State and Utah in the conference opener later this month, and it's Washington State and BYU next month. So we are going to see plenty of Washington State, and there will be multiple things to watch for. My only disappointment here is we got all day and we got two games to fit into it. Why do they have to overlap, PK? I don't need these two games at the exact same time, but that's what we have. The problems, the problems we have. First I, I don't world problems. Either. First world problems. Uh, Rolovich has got some problems because it came to pass uh, this week, came to light, I should say, that uh, Cassidy Woods, former uh, Cougar receiver, files a lawsuit against the university in Rolovich, claiming that Rolovich violated his civil rights. He was kicked off the team last year, complaining about his ex- potential exposure to COVID-19, and he was involved. Remember those Pac-12 players got together and they made some demands? Uh-huh. I never thought there was going to be anything of it. Uh, and uh, Woods is claiming Rolovich's acts were racist, they're quoting, racist, intentional, malicious, and willful, and, gro- and in gross disregard of his civil rights. And our guy Dan Wolken of USA Today, he put out a piece that was published, uh, what's today, the 3rd? So it was published on Wednesday. Nick Rolovich is only 42 years old, but his time is, but he's running out of time. Talking about how he's out of touch and shouldn't be coaching and Washington State's paying a heavy price for him because it's based on this lawsuit. That was filed August 20th, but it came to light uh, just uh, yesterday or the day before. So a lot of stuff circulating around Rolovich, and we know that he wasn't at Pac-12 Media Day because he didn't want to get the vaccination for undisclosed reasons and all that stuff. And if you don't want to get the vaccination, people are going to come at you and all that stuff that goes back and forth there i mean i don't i don't get into that i got the vaccination myself uh, if i didn't you would have slapped me but uh i was gonna do i was gonna do it either way i would not have slapped you <laughs> well when i went there i didn't know actually you know should i do this should i not do this and i knew you wanted it so it played a factor i want to get back in the i get that it was a factor but the show was going fine with us yeah. on remote as it's been for months and if you hadn't wanted to get it we would have kept doing the show on remote right. for months. But at the same so. time i consulted with people one guy in particular who's a doctor that i trust 100 percent on all medical issues and he said get it i said okay that's good yeah good enough for me you told me i believe in you i have faith in you you've helped me out in the past but anyway rolovich didn't do that um, and that created an issue. So it's all the stuff that's swirling around. And he's only in his second season. He was thought of as a jovial dude from Hawaii. Now he's a guy who is. Who and that, knows, that matters the in other professions. It might not matter, but in this profession, with recruiting and your Washington State, you've got disadvantages. Washington, yeah, sure. Oregon, USC, they have advantages. Washington State does not. So I know it was a weird season, but to go one and three doesn't help. 
and to have a bunch of negativity and to have an ex-player suing you, that doesn't help. And recruiting is so much about perception. And so if you lose control of the perception, you're in trouble. And it doesn't mean you can't dig your way out of trouble because you can, but that's the harder path. And we know from coaches getting fired, a lot of them don't dig themselves out of that perception. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they're ripe. Uh, maybe for the Aggies. Maybe not, but uh, possibly. That possibly be, they're ripe. That would be a stunning victory. And that would, for a new coaching staff, that would, man, talk about a plant-the-flag moment. To beat a Pac-12 school on the road, that would be a very— oh, yeah, what a shot in the arm. That would be a big deal in any year, but coming off a one-win season with a new staff, yeah, that would absolutely—a shot in the arm. See, it all comes back to vaccinations. Oh, I didn't plan that. See, look at Honestly, you. Honestly, I did not okay. plan that. But it would be a big deal. That would be a big deal for the Aggies. They're going into 17.5-point favorites here. You'd be one— and O, and Boise State would be O and 1. How sweet would life be? <laughs> <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed with a lot of college football next. The Big Show, the Big show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Joining us now, former Coug, our good friend Jordan Pendleton. BYU turning over the roster a little bit. Lay out some realistic expectations for this year's squad. I think as far as athleticism goes and potential, I think the athletes are there, but it's kind of unknown right now. Do I think BYU is going to only lose one game this year? Probably not. I think their schedule is going to be pretty tough, but I am excited to see how they respond off of last year with a better schedule ahead and see what they can do this year. So it's going to be fun to see, but it's definitely a toss-up right now. I think every Everybody's just excited to see them go get this first game under their belt and see what type of team that they're going to be. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. I think Zach Wilson is going to be in discussion as one of the top three to five quarterbacks very quickly. You know, within the next couple of years, I think you're going to see him rise. I think he's unbelievable. His ceiling is so high. It's rare for me to say someone has the ability to get in the stratosphere of a Mahomes, but I think this kid actually has that ability. That sounds a lot like what Tony Romo said when he was here for the Utah Open. And now he's saying it later, almost word for word. It makes me think this is what he really believes. And I got to say, I thought so when he said it in Provo, because I thought he was never going to rip Zach. But he could have soft-pedaled it and said, hey, in a couple of years, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty good NFL quarterback. There is a learning curve in the NFL, and it's New York, so it'll probably get crazy. But if he hangs in there, I think he can be pretty good. And he's not saying that kind of stuff. I mean, he's just comparing him to Mahomes. <laughs> Let's see, what would you do for praise that would be better than comparing him to Mahomes? Brady? I mean, <laughs> what's left? Mahomes is taking the league by storm. He's been to two Super Bowls and won one. He's been to three AFC title games. Mahomes is awesome. He's on a Hall of Fame track, and that's not even a controversial call. I just wish that Tony would have credited me because it's obvious he's copying me and the things that I believe. But that's okay. I don't need the credit. I know in my heart how good I am. <laughs> okay. Lay it on. Lay it on thick. <laughs> Lay it on and your head. guy, your hero, the herd, came out and said, "Oh, I saw a tweet about that. I saw a tweet about that. That, that will happen. You got to be conflicted because that's one of the guys that you look up to in his business. I mean, you po- you basically modeled your radio career after him, 
and he's ripping a local guy. It's got to be tough for you. No, I'm pretty good with it, actually. I tried to tell you two things I told you. Get off the Jordan Wilmore train and get off the Cowherd train. But you wouldn't listen. The Jordan Wilmore train. I just picture a train pulling into Ogden. Jordan Wilmore's face on the side of it. Everybody hop on. We're going to Salt Lake. Oh, man. All right. Uh, We have so much ground to cover, and we've got like seven minutes to do it in, so let's jump in. BYU-Las Vegas, one thing you're going to watch for in that game tomorrow night, 8.30 on ESPN. Straight to the quarterback, Jaron Hall's debut. There's a thousand things. I know, but... Yeah, obviously you're going to go right to there. How are they going to look offensively? I mean, your guy, the hammer, John Wilner... Not only will the Wildcats of, cover got, the 12-and-a-half-point spread, they will win the game outright. The hammer loves himself some U of A. <laughs> hey, that's a bias I had <laughs> no idea about. You identified it early and definitively. Just sitting there in a commercial break, we talk about nothing. <laughs> You're like, man, Wilner hates ASU and loves U of A. And I'm like, what? He writes in San Jose. Why does he care? He goes, oh, no, no. Before he went to the Mercury News, and then you laid out the whole backstory for me. Give people the 30-second version of it. Yeah, I think he had a job in uh, Tucson there. Did he go to school there or just work there? One of their... I think he just worked there. Okay. By the time this casino starts serving $2.99 steak and eggs, the Wildcats be 1-0 and zero and flying back to Tucson without the need for a plane. Seven reasons why. Oof. Number one, BYU is overrated. Oof. <laughs> Oof. That'd be bad news, man. If BYU loses that game, they're staring at 0-3. I mean, if you can't beat Arizona, then what shot do you have against Utah and ASU? You would think, right? Comparative scores, Very preseason logical. predictions, all that kind of stuff. Oh, man, I hope BYU wins 45-zip. <laughs> <laughs> You're classic. <laughs> you are a beauty. Oh, by the way, uh, that last segment when you were saying about the vaccine I was going to slap you, you Chasta trailer just tweeted in, if at David DJ James hasn't slapped at PK Kinahan multiple times over PK's hijinks over the past nearly 20 years, I'm guessing he isn't going to slap him over a vaccine. No, but your hijinks. <laughs> your hijinks. My hijinks. I love the word hijinks. That's kind of low. That's, that's soft pedaling it. I love the word hijinks. That <laughs> is such an old school word. Hijinks. I mean, I could think of like you know, crap or maybe something even stronger than that. Well, clearly he. I'll you take chastity, hijinks. You, your chest trailer <laughs> likes you if he refers to them as hijinks. Yeah, I'll take hijinks. If they don't like you, the pot stirring and the crap and the negativity. So hijinks, he probably likes you. <laughs> I was thinking of bull something else. Oh, uh, that too. Yep, that too. All right, the Utes <laughs> beat Weber State. The takeaway from this game, I don't know if you can narrow it down to one, but I think the three in order, order uh, Charlie Brewer as advertised. Tavian Thomas is the guy, but if he has a fumbling issue, then Kyle will be very comfortable with Bernard as a guy. Uh, ran it well, six yards a carry, and three catches for 41 yards out of the backfield. But, man, Thomas at nine yards a carry. 
And he's he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he runs through tackles, runs a little upright. Won't be surprised if he gets uh, gets drilled by a linebacker or a strong safety. That's a pretty big target right there. But he can dish out the punishment, too. That was pretty clear. It reminds me of a kid that Sun Devils had, Kalen Balage, who was played in the NFL for a number of years, scored like eight touchdowns against Texas Tech when Mahomes was the quarterback. I, I'm, you probably remember that. Uh, but a bigger kid, a bigger running back. And I saw some similarities. And Blodge did make the NFL. Uh, so something to be said for that, obviously. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. But Blodge was a bigger guy who ran that way. And he was one time when they were playing uh, in the Rose Bowl against the Bruins. And he ran for like 20 yards. The Bruins were trying to strip the ball from him because they needed the ball. And he ended up in the end zone, and it was a big. It looked like a rugby scrum <laughs> because they're trying to punch the ball out. So it got slowed down, and the offensive line were able to catch up. And it's a funny play, uh, but I did see some similarities there. And he's a very good player. We'll see if Thomas can get to that level. They ran him in the Wildcat a little bit, if I remember right. I wonder if they would uh, they would do that with Thomas. I wonder if they would do that with Jaquin and Jackson, but then he didn't uh, he didn't dress for the game apparently. So. Right. Save that for somewhere down the line, I suppose. Jimbo's firing coaches right out of the gate. Harding needs to be let go. So much talent on the O-line, but really, they just don't look all that good year after year. (laughs) Really? I wonder if Zach Moss thinks the O-line wasn't very good, because I'm pretty sure he thought it was good. Uh, Yeah, I don't think Harding's going anywhere. He, 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 what? Dared Kyle to fire him during a game. What was, they got into I don't know what it. year that was. But that was awesome. <laughs> he didn't get fired then. No. He's probably not getting fired now. The O-line does need to be better, and Nick, uh, Nick Ford, who'll be on our show Monday, tweeted that out. Yeah, improvement coming. Good night, Utes. So. It's a work in progress for sure, yeah. But that's why you open with a big sky school, so you can make mistakes, know you need to improve, and still win by 23 points. Right, but can you make that improvement? I mean, you can know you need to do something, uh, but can you do it? Well, I think with this O-line coach, this offensive coordinator, and this head coach, they always get it fixed. So I assume, yes, there were problems, but Kyle pretty much told us going in there are going to be problems when he says there's three guys and I'm not sure they're going to be able to go. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like we should get ready for a dominant O-line performance. Okay, but so, is he going to be ready to go against the Cougars because they're going to provide a much different test? Right. Well, we'll see what Kyle says next week. Um, I, I mean, I don't know about the health concerns of these guys. So well, That's important. That's, that's a big part of the mix. Um, I, w- I would assume they'd be ready to go because that's what they've been in the past and there haven't been any changes to the three guys who ought to have a big say here, right? The old Hardy ought to have a big say. Sure, but it's up to the players to do it. It is, but the coaches who've been recruiting players who can do it really haven't changed much either. I think they're going to figure it out. It clearly wasn't good enough. Brewer took too many hits. Agreed. And I yeah, thought a couple times yeah, the running backs, there wasn't enough of a hole there. And they did what Kyle said. Well, put your head down and make two or three yards. You know, push the pile. Make it happen. And they did, but nobody's here looking for two and three yard carries against Weber State. But I also told you, Weber State's defense two years ago, they played two Mountain West schools and they did really well. 6 nothing in 1913 against San Diego State and Nevada, who are, you know, top half of the Mountain West. 
So for a Big yeah, Sky now. team to defend like that, well, San Diego State was better then. You're right. Nevada was on the way up and probably not as good at that point. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think Weber State's defense is really good. I think that's why they've had a lot of the success they've had. And Jay Hill, you know, played for Kyle and then coached for Kyle, so that's not really a surprise. All right. Coming up next, your feedback. Stay with us. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The new look Aggies hit the road to take on Washington State to kick off the Blake Anderson era in Logan. Catch all the play by play action beginning with the pregame show at 8. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and it is time for your feedback. Everything you think about this show, and we have a lot of people weighing in. On their impressions of the Utes after the opener against Weber State, and PK people are all over the board. At Utah Utes 22, the glass is half empty. His impressions are O-line, special teams, drops. Oh, and did I say O-line? I can agree with that to an extent. The offensive line needs to get ironed out, yeah. So I don't know that I'm going to base it on uh, that game and think there's an issue, but uh, it's a concern. Kyle was very, I believe, circumspect is the word, as far as which he was very open that players that, that they could be missing three guys on the O line, but he didn't say who those three were, how he ranks them, how many of these battles are close and could be changed. So, do you have any confidence in knowing who the Ute's best five offensive linemen are? Not right now, no. Right. I don't either. So, I wonder how much this is still a work in progress, how much he didn't have the guys he wanted. Uh, Does he want this to go somewhere in the future? How much he reorganized based on what he saw? Or is it just a simple matter of, I know who the guys are and they just got to play better? Got to get back, got to get healthy, got to get ready to go. So I think it's a combination of a lot of different things there uh, before they get it ironed out. And, and, you know, the games are going to start coming at you, obviously, very fast. So it's something that's very important to get done. And I think, uh, well, first off, we'll just be watching the game for the sake of the game with BYU and Arizona. But special note to how BYU's front plays the run and how much they get after the quarterback. Oh, for sure, Knowing what's coming in the second game and the issues the Utes just had on the offensive line. Yeah, um, it's probably right now, because I think they showed enough at running back to settle my questions there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm still concerned, as I, as I spoke earlier in the show, about the defensive backfield against a more uh, lethal passing attack, and then the offensive line. Those are my two things right there. I, I, and and I'm, I have a question on Devin Lloyd. Can he continue to be the best linebacker in the country? <laughs> that is the question. Because he might only be the second or third best. And sure. Other he was than that, super, I'm good to go. He was super impressive. That was yeah. very impressive. And you see a guy laying out, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's Devin Lloyd. Well, why wouldn't it be? Right. <laughs> of course it is. That was an awesome play. Who may? Oh, yeah, it was Devin Lloyd. Of course it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Heath tweets at us, Utah's quarterback took a bunch of big hits in a pass game. A concern? Yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe a little less concerned because even though it was only two plays, Rising looked good. I mean, he looked like looked like he knew what he was doing out there. 
And so all of the stuff we heard about, hey, Ryzen's not making this an easy decision, even though it's a small snapshot, he backed it up in the two passes he was allowed to throw. Uh, I think Rising will be fine when he gets his opportunity, but if you're assuming Brewer gets hurt because of injury, why wouldn't I assume Rising gets hurt? Yeah, see, that's a possibility, right? (laughs) We have seen teams be down to their third-string quarterback. So I thought Brewer took one of those big hits. I thought he took the... One of the two or three biggest hits he took in the game, I thought he took by choice when he rolled out and decided to run. He, he could have slid, and he didn't. And he was trying to be a tough guy, and maybe he's part of being a transfer and fit in and showing the guys, you know, no I'm need tough, to. But no need to. No need it. to, right? Now, he also took big hits in the pocket. And once I thought he held the ball trying to get it downfield, and he did, but, man, he paid a price. You know, and that's it's part of the game, and when do you risk it and when do you get rid of it? And, and he stood in there and held it. So I don't think there's any questions about his toughness. But no. if you're hurt, you're hurt. You know? and, and he took some licks that could hurt a guy. So. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Football Friday continues with Hands and Scotty next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.